We are the Narrators 3. Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 2, Episode 8, Into the Deep. The air date for this episode was November 25th, 2012. The writers for this episode were <laughs> Kalinda Vasquez and Daniel T. Thompson. Named for a character on Star Trek, the original series, Kalinda Vasquez is a writer, producer, and story editor with credits on Prison Break, Human Target, Nikita, Fear the Walking Dead, and Star Trek Discovery. She will write another 10 episodes of Once Upon a Time. We know Daniel T. Thompson from his teleplay credit on 7.15 a.m. The director of this episode is Ron Underwood, who previously directed the season one episode, Red Handed. The title card features zombies. We begin our episode in the Enchanted Forest. Hook, having just completed his climb down the beanstalk, is greeted by Cora, who asks for the compass. Hook explains that he does not possess it, and Cora surmises that he has betrayed her. Hook tells her he always intended to bring it to her, and that he will retrieve it from Emma Swan, and the two of them will travel to Storybrooke together. Cora replies she does not have time for his games but instead of killing him, intends to leave Hook alone with no way to Storybrooke, his taste for vengeance left unquenched. Hook tries to bat his eyelashes and be suggestive to renegotiate their terms. Your pretty face buys you a lot, says Cora, but not my time. It's too valuable. Hook insists that Cora needs him, which she laughs off before disappearing. I like Killian a lot, but I do very much enjoy that Cora is just like, oh, you stupid, pretty little bitch. I need no man. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's real good. Uh, it's so good. I love Cora just chilling under her like dainty parasol, talking to Hook, who's just like out in the rain and trying so hard to use his charm on her and just she's having none of it. She gives uh, no this, fucks. The scene is really great. I really liked it. <laughs> Yeah, Barbara's Hershey's, like her toothy smile, reminds me of the Bruce Tim Paladini version of Harley Quinn. It's very wide, it's flirty. She has like those bright cherry red lips and it's very wicked. Like, I really love it. Also, I love that Hook is such a dum-dum that he lunges at Cora as she disappears and he literally belly flops in the dirt. <laughs> like, what a delightful idiot. I did see that someone had an account that was like Captain Hook Floor OT. Yeah, it's Captain Floor. <laughs> and all the pictures of the times he hits the floor and I'm like, oh my God, he does do it a lot. This man just eats shit yeah, that's constantly. A, that's, a, that's actually a very big crack ship in the fandom. It's Captain Floor. <laughs> Captain Floor. I mean, they spend a lot of time together. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler, he'll spend a lot of time with that floor. Yeah. Cora reappears at the desecrated survivor's camp. She removes a heart from a drawer within her makeshift vault. After she blows on it with her magic, it causes other drawers to glow and open. Standing in the doorway of the shack, using the heart, she commands several of the heartless bodies scattered about to rise. Ooh, excellent. Cora has her own zombie army now. Shit, should have been our Halloween episode. I completely forgot about this plot line and Cora having zombies not remember this which i feel is underutilized i think it's kind of like a one and done yeah so which i'm like oh wow geez i didn't know she could do that that's pretty frightening <laughs> it's pretty baller honestly yeah oh, she's badass yeah this is why cora is a very big bad <laughs> meanwhile emma shows a picture of henry to aurora and asks her if this is the boy she saw it's very like t1000 in terminator 2 like have you seen this boy you know <laughs> Aurora confirms Henry's identity. 
Emma is confused as to how Aurora and Henry could be sharing the same dream, but Mary Margaret speaks up and states that she may know how this is happening. She tells the other three women that she experienced the same world of flame, disco, and smoke as Aurora and Henry had after being released from the sleeping curse. Aurora angrily confronts her as to why Mary Margaret did not inform her of this previously, and Mary Margaret tells her she did not want to worry Aurora any more than she needed to. Snow White realizes they have an opportunity with this connection, as Aurora should go back to sleep and contact Henry, specifically to ask Rumpelstiltskin for help. Oh yeah, princess, says Emma, as Aurora begins to protest. You're going back to sleep. The way this scene jumps from that line to Aurora being in the disco inferno, I can only assume that Emma knocked her out. I mean, that's a pretty reasonable assumption with Emma. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think of that, but it sounds about right. Oh man, but during this scene when like Mary Margaret was putting everything together, I was just like, oh, Snow is so smart. She is. She's the she's, brains. She's the brains. In her fiery nightmare, Aurora once again contacts Henry. She introduces herself and that she is with his mother and grandmother and that they need his help. In Storybrooke, Henry wakes up from his nightmare and tells David and Regina about what he saw. Both are excited that Emma and Mary Margaret are alive, but Henry tells Regina that they need help stopping Cora. Her face is just like, oh, fuck. When Henry says, your mother. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, she so like good. freezes. It's like, oh. Yeah. Lana's great in that scene. It's awesome. Womp, womp, Regina. She's just like, oh. It's just the exact opposite of what I wanted. What a week I'm having. I know. <laughs> Meanwhile, Belle and Mr. Gold are enjoying a date at Granny's Diner. Also, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on with the extra behind them. She keeps wildly turning her head to stare and goof and gawk like it's not even subtle she's a big rumbeller Mm, she might be i it's like every time that gold says a line she like turns to look at him almost like i think it's she's supposed to be looking incredulous like this man turned my husband into a pig and now he's just sitting here eating yeah very yeah exactly because like he had said like i have a very complicated relationship as i like you know and and that's like really when like she turns and kind of like gives them a no shit sherlock sort of look (laughs) so i i'm sure like maybe like there are other i watched this episode twice for this in preparation and i was trying to look at all the other diners and the man who's with her kind of looks too but he's also facing Rumpelstiltskin, so it's not as obvious. It was just so noticeable. <laughs> so, <laughs> When Granny delivers their order of burgers, she snarks that she didn't need dark magic to make them and that she charges extra for the pickles. Uh, Granny's going to extort this man for all he's worth. Delightful. <laughs> <laughs> Once she leaves, Mr. Gold explains that he has a complicated relationship with Granny, as he does with most people. Belle gently reminds him that it took her a little time to get to know him. Their date is getting pretty precious as he explains that condiments are this world's most powerful magic when cockblocker Regina storms into the diner. Granny is worried that Regina is spoiling for a fight, and Mr. Gold does not want to help until she tells him that Cora is trying to come to Storybrooke. He believed that Cora was dead, and they talk of the animosity that she would have for both of them, though Rumpelstiltskin believes that he can handle her. Regina does not believe so, pointedly looking at Belle as she reminds Mr. Gold that he now has someone to lose. Belle then asks who Cora is, and Mr. Gold replies by telling her someone she will never have to meet. Granny is just like, please, I'm trying to run a business here. And Belle is just like, do I need to be here for this? 
These these poor ladies are stuck in the crossfire. I mean, she tries to leave. She does. <laughs> Belle's just like, I should go. I should and go. starts I to stand go. up. And he's like, no, no. And she has this look of, damn. And she sits back down. <laughs> like, this woman doesn't want to be here. Please. Please. I, and I just love that Regina is just so oblivious. Like, you should have seen them and been like, all right, I'll just wait outside with a coffee for him and catch him as they leave, you know? Just be like, all right, you know. She it's like the No, she always has to storm in and be the center of attention. Bump, 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 bump. <laughs> God, fucking evil bassoon music. We haven't heard it in a while. That's true. That is true. We return to the enchanted forest. As they are walking through the forest, Mulan notices the burns on Aurora's arms and confronts her about it. Aurora states that she rubbed against some poison ivy, which Mulan does not believe for a minute. Mulan reminds Aurora of her promise to Philip that she would protect Aurora and tells her not to keep returning to the netherworld as she is in danger there. However, Aurora tells Mulan that this is her turn to help somebody and she is doing this with or without Mulan's approval. Aw, Mulan is just worried about her wifey. Shit. Mulan's just like, damn it. I caught feelings for my princess. These two really are the perfect opportunity to eventually introduce a lesbian couple. And wah wah. Spoilers. Sleeping warrior does not happen. It's because they're cowards. They are. And I unfortunately haven't seen enough of Once Upon a Time to know like if they kind of like teetered on the edge of it and then like cowered down. Oh, they do. Oh, I know. They really would have been a good opportunity for actual bisexual representation. But spoiler alert, we do get some in the future. I won't say who, but it does happen. It does happen. Back in Storybrooke, Regina brings Henry one of his blankets from home as he prepares to fall asleep to contact Aurora. David asks if Henry feels comfortable to do this, and Henry says yes, he was born to do this, and that he wants to be a hero. Henry is such a good boy. He's just so good and so brave. He really is just the best kid. I love Henry. Mr. Gold begins to tell Henry a bedtime story. Once upon a time, Snow White and Prince Charming had to lock up a powerful magician. Henry picks up on the tale that the magician was Rumpelstiltskin and that Snow White and Prince Charming enlisted Cinderella to use a quill to stun Rumpelstiltskin. And at this point, I think it would have been really funny if we had a nod to the Princess Bride where Mr. Gold goes, yes, yes, you're very smart. Now shut up. (laughs) It would have been very good. It would have been very good. Mr. Gold slowly moves his hand over Henry's face as he continues his tale, revealing that it was not the quill itself that was the trick, but the squid ink that captured him. He says the remainder of the squid ink is in his jail cell. This scene was actually very soft. Oh, yeah. There's just so many, like, good little moments in this episode. Mm -hmm. Like, when you look back and you're like, oh, that was a great scene. That was a great scene. It's an episode of quiet moments. Yeah. It's all all the quiet moments are the best moments. Yeah. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Mary Margaret takes Emma's hand to reassure her that everything will be okay. They suddenly hear a snap of twigs as something or someone approaches their campsite. In the Disco Inferno realm, Aurora sees Henry again amidst the smoke and flame. The two attempt to communicate as the flames rage, and the disco keeps going. (laughs) (laughs) Henry attempts to tell her of the jar of squid ink in Rumpelstiltskin's cell. Before Aurora can understand Henry or respond, Mulan suddenly wakes Aurora, causing her to be sucked up into a cyclone void and back into consciousness, where the group is under attack by the zombies unleashed by Korra. Aurora and Mulan run off together, 
Yay. (laughs) (laughs) But are attacked by a group of zombies. One pins Mulan to the ground while the others drag away a screaming Aurora. These zombies are like 28 day later zombies. Fast and aggro. They are. They're they're the running cough blood on you zombies. Mm -hmm. In Storybrooke, Henry abruptly wakes up from his dream. Mr. Gold asks him if he told him about the squid ink. But Henry tells him that Aurora got sucked out of the dream before he could convey their message. Regina and David are frightened when they notice a burn on Henry's arm. Regina, please don't mangle his poor little burned arm again. Luckily, she doesn't this time. I was very concerned when she started to reach for it. I was like, oh, come on, man. Not two weeks in a row. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Aurora is imprisoned in a cell beneath the former safe haven. Cora comes in carrying a tray of stew. A stoic Aurora informs her that she will not be eating as she is fearful that the food may be poisoned. Cora laughs and says that Aurora is more useful to her alive than dead as she intends to trade Aurora for the magic compass. Aurora states that this is a bad idea as she is a stranger to Mary Margaret and Emma and the two of them want to get home and will do anything to do so, including sacrificing her. Cora informs Aurora she may not know her companions as well as she thinks. Cora then tells Aurora that when the wraith sucked the soul from Philip, the soul was not in fact destroyed, but was sent to another realm. Cora hints that if Aurora cooperates with her, she may be able to summon Philip's soul back to the enchanted forest. Aurora does not believe her and rebukes her, kicking the tray of food onto Cora's dress. An angry Cora flings the plucky girl against the wall with her magic, knocking Aurora unconscious. She then sends her raven off to deliver a message. Aurora in this scene is just like, whatever, kill me. Like straight up, I I really, I really do like Aurora. Like I liked her the first time around, but I feel like I appreciate her even more during this rewatch. And I think she's really great in this episode specifically. Yeah, I remember not really caring for her too much when I first, first watched Once Upon a Time, like years and years ago. But I really appreciate her now. She's a good, yeah. As the group is hacking their way through the forest with Mulan leading, a raven swoops onto Mary Margaret's shoulder. It communicates to her that if the magic compass is not given to Korra by sundown, Aurora will be killed. All of those bird courses came in handy. Of course, Snow speaks bird. I love it. Yeah, I love that she could talk to birds so much. And like, she truly does have, you know, that master in bird studies. Like you said, like Storybrook Elementary was so lucky to have her for bird 101. Like she's, she's really advanced. She's a goddamn druid. Uh-huh. She got beast speech. Beast speech 101. <laughs> Immediately, Mulan demands the compass from Emma. And when Emma does not give it freely, she moves to physically take it from her. Which gives us the absolutely hilarious line of Emma going, I climbed a beanstalk for this. Get your own. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. That was like a great line. <laughs> I was like, oh, Emma, always with the comedy gold. The unintentional comedy, just like your dad. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Margaret says that if Mulan can make more sleeping powder, then she can contact Henry. Emma and Mary Margaret convince her to allow them till sundown to come up with a plan to save Aurora without losing the compass. If that does not work, then they will give the compass to Mulan so she can go and rescue Aurora. In Storybrooke, Mr. Gold magically heals Henry's burns. David and Regina do not want to risk Henry's life by sending him back to a place where Aurora is no longer present. David realizes that Snow will be there instead. He asks if he can be put under a sleeping curse to contact Snow. Mr. Gold says that if they do this, he may never wake up. But David says that when he and Snow kiss, he will wake up and be fine. So angry and in love. 
Oh God, these two. I can't even deal with them and their love. It's too good. I know. Charming is such a good man and the love of Snow and Charming just hits me right in the heart every time. Like, every time. In the Enchanted Forest, Aurora sleepily awakens and finds herself face to face with Hook standing over her. She is immediately on guard, but Hook informs her that he is helping her to escape to foil Cora's plans. Aurora does not believe him at first, but Hook states that Cora double-crossed him, and for Aurora to tell Emma that their deal for passage to Storybrooke still stands. Aurora runs from the dungeon. How the hell did I not notice those goddamn feathers on Aurora's shawl slash cape slash wrap thing before? Oh, and I, now I realize it. Her hair was always like hiding the bulk of them because yeah. they're in the back. But when she has it like fully wrapped, like a little blankie, like the feathers are all around it. And I'm just like, Jesus, feathers. So many feathers. It's, it's once upon a time. Of course there's feathers. feathers. Emma and Mary Margaret follow Mulan through the woods. Mulan has so much directionless rage in the scene. She's just like chopping all the plants back that really don't need to be cut back. Lesbian rage begs for vengeance. <laughs> she mad. She big mad. Emma then asks how bad the netherworld is. Mary Margaret is honest and tells her it is dark and lonely, where all you can think about is how you will never see any of your loved ones again. Emma feels guilty for causing Henry to fall under a sleeping curse. But Mary Margaret reassures her that she herself feels guilty for causing Regina to enact the curse and that they must journey on if they want to get back. Emma says that ultimately, Regina is to blame for everything. I mean, she's not wrong. (laughs) We return to Storybrooke. As David and Mr. Gold talk about the sleeping curse, Regina mixes the ingredients in Mr. Gold's shop. Henry asks her if she has been using magic. Regina tells him that she has not, except when necessary with Daniel and, of course, this moment. Henry is happy about this, that she is trying to help people, and watches as the sleeping curse drips into a blue liquid. Henry still thinks that he should be the one to contact Aurora, but Regina says that this is one of the few things she and David agree on, that Henry is to be protected, and that Snow and Charming always find each other. Aww. This scene is very soft. Yeah, I loved this scene between Henry and Regina. I think it was a a really wonderful heart-to-heart. And just, yeah, this episode just has some really excellent character development moments and just these really quiet conversations that are just, I don't know, they're great. I liked it. This scene was awesome. Yeah. Back in Storybrooke, Mr. Gold says that the first and easiest way to deliver a sleeping curse was through blood, which is why it was first used through a needle. Mr. Gold then gives a spinning wheel needle to Regina, who sticks it in the blue liquid, causing it to be absorbed into the needle. Then she puts the needle into the spinning wheel. Henry hugs David as he says goodbye. David assures him that everything will be fine, and Henry hands him the necklace that will protect David. I don't understand why the spell had to be on the spinning wheel. Like, I'm pretty sure Mr. Gold just liked the drama of it all. I mean, he's nothing if not theatrical. Also, maybe they didn't want to run back to Regina's to grab an apple. (laughs) No time for apples. Prick your finger, draw blood. Didn't he just like drunk the potion? Like, you weren't trying to trick him. I don't know. I don't know. I guess they needed to be on an object. You know, it'd be really funny if they had like another piece of fruit, like just hanging, like that was part of like Mr. Gold's lunch that Bill packed for him or something. Like it's an enchanted banana. (laughs) Enchanted like dole fruit cup. It's like 
after they've gone through all this song and dance, they're like, oh, we had a pear right here. <laughs> Oops. We had a Oops. clementine, some orange slices. <laughs> some cl- Henry uh, just has a little bag of cuties in his lunch. <laughs> he has baby carrots. Here, do you mm-hmm. want some baby carrots or some uh, flaming Hot Cheetos? <laughs> can put and it on Reg- my Lunchable. And then Regina's like, flaming Hot Cheetos? I don't Who know gave you those? Who gave you those? Those have so many preservatives in them. I'm going to speak to their parents. <laughs> it glares at Charming. Yeah. No, really putting you under the sleeping curse. Sleeping curse of my fist. <laughs> no, that's, that's what his daughter does. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back in the enchanted forest, Mulan crushes a poppy flower with her blade until it becomes poppy dust. Mary Margaret settles against a tree while Emma holds her hand and tells her to say hello to Henry. Mulan then blows the dust into Mary Margaret's face, putting her to sleep. Emma holding Snow's hand was so sweet. Like, I love their little mother-daughter moments. And I don't know, it was just it's really nice how there's like these quiet moments that show how much Emma cares about her mom friend. And it's just, it was so sweet. It's very sweet. We return to Storybrooke where David looks at the needle ready to prick his finger. Before he does, he asks how he will find Mary Margaret if they are in two separate areas. Mr. Gold says that that's what they need him to find out. (laughs) After this, David pricks his finger and immediately falls asleep. Oh, poor Charming. Don't make him figure out stuff. Like, He's good at three things, being handsome, kind, and strong. He is but a simple himbo. <laughs> he make tries his best, though. He does. Don't make him smart. <laughs> no, but I think in, in the area of when it comes to, like, finding snow, it's like Hulk smash, you know, like, like he just hulks out and he's able to, like, track her like a hound dog. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what he does. Yeah. Speaking of which... David walks through the nightmare disco and grabs a torch to find his way around while Mary Margaret searches for Henry in the Inferno room. David notices that the necklace Henry gave him is beginning to glow. The heat causes him to drop the necklace, and while bending down to retrieve it, he notices the heat coming from the floor. Realizing it is because of the fiery room beneath him, David breaks through the floor using his torch and falls into the fiery room. He calls out for Mary Margaret and the two see each other and run towards each other despite the flames surrounding them. You found me, Snow declares in awe. Quickly, David tells her about the ink that they can use to stop Cora. Mary Margaret then realizes that he is under a sleeping curse. When David says, I had to see you, like, tears, immediate tears. This scene got me good. I, I was feeling emotional when we watched this one, I, I think, because this scene got me. No, it wasn't just you. Yeah, I know. I I would not feel alone. I did not feel alone. <laughs> I saw you too. I told you not to look at me. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to happen on your wedding when you're crying? And you're, are you going to like yell at her? Don't look at me. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, do you know me? <laughs> I will 100% be standing in front of the altar screaming, don't look at me. <laughs> and I will be cackling in the audience somewhere. Violently brandishing my bouquet. <laughs> Snow attempts to wake Charming through true love's kiss, but they pass through each other because they aren't in the physical world. Snow is heartbroken, feeling like they are destined to keep losing each other. David tells her that he has faith that she will get back to Storybrooke and wake him. Mary Margaret begins to cry as she wakes up from the sleeping powder, leaving David in the fiery realm. Jesus, this scene, like, legitimately made me cry through the whole thing, as Elisa outed me about. (laughs) These two just kill me. I can't. I know. Like, they just, they hit me in the heart. Like, yeah, I was crying right there with you. You You weren't supposed to look at me. (laughs) I know. I saw you went, you went for the hanky though, the the Kleenex. Hanky. Hankies are disgusting. (laughs) I use disposable Kleenex. (laughs) But you can just, you can tell how much they love each other and, and it kills me. And then Snow is like, are we destined to keep losing each other? And then, and then you cry and your tears are also blood. Blood? What? Oh my god. <laughs> it's an ancient meme. It's a yeah, it's it's from the before times. It's from the before times. It's from the I'll find it. Tumblr Tumblr Mayday. Yeah. It was when you retweeted or not tweeted, reblogged anything sad, you would caption it. And then you cry and your tears are also blood. So it's blood. hyperbole and a half. It's the scariest I... story. Yes. Man, hyperbole and a half is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is my recommendation to you viewers is that her books are wonderful and you should definitely read them. I can't believe I forgot it was hyperbole and a half. So good. Well, it's not surprising that both of you cried. The co-writer of this episode also wrote 7.15 a.m. So he knows how to punch us in the feels. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that, that makes sense. That makes sense why this has such good Snow and Charming moment. Yeah, I hope this guy continues to write Snow and Charming because, man, he, he really does do it very well. Oh, he kills at it. In Storybrooke, Henry is worried as to why David is not waking up. Regina tries to tell him that everything is normal, but neither she nor Mr. Gold believe that. I love the look they give and Mr. Gold like shakes his head like, nope, he's fucked. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely had the like, Regina says, you know, like a liar. (laughs) She's like, he'll be fine, Henry. She's like, they're probably catching up. And I'm like, ew, <laughs> that's what I thought. And I was like, oh, and I, that's what I think like, like Mr. Gold should have done. He should have recoiled and been like, that's what you went with. Ew. <laughs> Gina, he's 10. <laughs> In the enchanted forest, Mary Margaret wakes up and scrambles to find some leftover poppy dust, stating that David is all alone in the dream world and she has to get back to him. Emma tells her that they used it all, but tries to comfort her, stating that they will be able to return and awaken David. Mary Margaret rounds on her, asking her how she is so sure of this. Emma states that she believes in the love that Mary Margaret and David have for each other. Mary Margaret smilingly acknowledges this, but the two then discover that Mulan has run off with the compass. Damn it, Mulan! Your horniness for Aurora is fucking it up for the rest of the crew. Mulan, you goddamn bisexual nightmare. She's just like, fuck y'all, I gotta save my girlfriend. Elisa, please put a clip here of Borat saying, my wife. My wife. (laughs) Mulan, you goddamn lesbian nightmare. Meanwhile, Cora comes down to find the cell empty and Hook standing there by himself, smug as ever. Cora realizes that Hook let Aurora go. 
In a calm rage, she flings him up against the wall and binds him with rock manacles. She rips out his hook and moves to cut his chest open with it. But Hook then tells her to look inside his satchel, saying that he has brought Cora a present. That's not a euphemism. This whole scene felt like a euphemism. I know. I was like, wow. I'm like hearing myself narrate this. I'm like, damn. Like these two don't have that kind of chemistry, at least in my opinion. And yet this scene was borderline pornographic. It really, <laughs> really was. It was very borderline German dungeon porn, you know? I think it was, it's because they both have very like that seductive charismatic nature. Yeah, they're both very they're both seducers. Yeah. So even though they don't have interest in each other, they're always playing that game. So they're like mm-hmm. they never turn off. Yeah. No, they don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Hook. Yeah. Cora looks inside Hook's satchel. <laughs> Whole thing's a fucking euphemism. <laughs> Gasps at its contents. Oh no, we're gone. <laughs> Okay, just leave it like that. Leave it. We've, we've lost um, Jill. We leave it. Leave it. She's gone. I'm gone. And I wanted to say my little comment, which is that these two have the best banter outside of Rumpelstiltskin, who is also a big time seducer, probably the biggest fuck boy in this whole fucking show. He, he, no, no offense, honey, but yeah, no, he is the biggest fuck boy on the yeah. show. He is I king said it first. Boy. He is yeah. he is king fuck boy of this mm-hmm. show. I mean, I love him for it, so it's okay. I mean, I love Cora. You know that. <laughs> I do know this. I, I am, I am like the one lone Cora fan, like sitting in like an empty stadium, like waving my little heart flag, going, "Yay!" <laughs> I can <laughs> fuck him up, sweetie. <laughs> I appreciate. Cora. Not actively rooting for her, but no, like yeah. I appreciate her cunningness yes she's a good villain like, she's a yeah good i appreciate villain. a good villain i don't like her but i appreciate right her. exactly it's kind of like it's like the analogy i used with elisa like a week ago where i was like i would say that hereditary is a good movie i didn't like it and i never want to watch it again but it was a good movie <laughs> oh i have lots of movies like that like where i like i'll sit down and i'll watch it and i'll be like i can recognize that this is a good film However, mm-hmm. I never want to see it again. I never want to see it again. And I did not like it. I didn't have ever. a good time and I don't want to watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a good movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would that's say how I, I feel about Cora. the fucking movies I've ever seen is like that. That's that's my Cora feelings. Yep. Don't want her to win, but I appreciate her as a villain. Yeah. Like, I appreciate the art of it. <laughs> don't like it. Don't want to be here, but got to give props or props or do. Yep. We quickly cut to Mary Margaret and Emma chasing after Mulan, and an angry Mary Margaret lets loose a warning arrow at Mulan, stating that the next one will be between her shoulder blades. Like her very armored shoulder blades? Okay, whatever. There's gaps. (laughs) Okay. There's gaps, and she's going to find them by gum. (laughs) Yeah, just like this thinly veiled plot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, I'm done. I swear. Mary Margaret tackles Mulan when she refuses to give her the compass and nearly kills her before Aurora suddenly jumps in, revealing she has escaped from Cora's jail cell with the help of Hook. I am both impressed and unsurprised that Snow was just going to do a straight-up murder. Like, she's got a himbo to get back to. This ragtag team has almost killed each other so many times, it's a little impressive. I love that Emma's face went to zoinks. Holy shit. My mom is about to straight up murk a bitch. Like right before Aurora jumped in, like her Jennifer's face just went, Doh. 
Yeah, she had that face journey, but you also knew that she was going to let her. Oh, yeah. She just also had the, I guess I'm an accomplice to murder now. Boop-a-doop. (laughs) Boop-a-doop. I'll get the acid bath. (laughs) We return to Cora and Hook as the former holds up her gift. The heart of Aurora, which was ripped out by Hook. Cora uses the heart to control Aurora, and she can see and hear whatever is going on. Through Aurora, Cora tells the group that Hook is trustworthy now and likely is fond of Emma. As she hears that the group is headed for Rumpelstiltskin's cell, Cora smiles wickedly. End credits. Well, for whatever else I can say about this episode, it brought its game where ships are concerned. Snow and Charming are so sweet and heartbreaking. And then you have the disaster gays, Mulan and Aurora being, you know, disaster gays. Like, it's not the best episode ever, but the scene with Snow and Charming in the Nightmare Dimension is really beautiful and well done, which is probably in no small part due to the actors being super goddamn in love in real life. That's all I got. Yeah, while this episode in some ways feels very much like a transition piece, like it's primarily setting up the rest of the first arc in the season, it's also filled with some really wonderful character moments. Charming and Snow absolutely broke my heart and was probably my actual favorite snowing moment of the season so far. Um, And there's also these small moments with Snow and Emma, and then with Regina and Henry, and Hook and Aurora, and, and even Regina, Mr. Gold, and Charming. Like, I, I, I think this episode is proof that they can break from their format and not include any flashbacks and still make a really solid episode. While it's not the most memorable episode, I, I did actually really like this one. I thought it had really great character moments. And yeah, it was one of those weird ones where I didn't remember the details of the episode that well. Maybe it's not as as standout or, or memorable, but while I was watching it, I. I liked it, and I liked getting to spend these more quiet moments with the characters. So there is only one detail about this episode that bothers me. How in the holy hell can Hook rip out Aurora's heart? The show initially makes it out to be a very difficult task, something one has to build up to when going through Rumpelstiltskin's School of Dark Magic. Anyway, that quibble aside, I do like this episode. It is transitional, as Elisa pointed out, focused mostly on the build of what's to come and character development, both of which this episode excelled at. Not my favorite episode, but it is very far from being like a bad episode. It's it's made up of all those wonderful little quiet moments that we talked about. Yeah, this episode, you know, I don't know if the reason why it seemed like a smaller story was budget reasons or if it actually was, you know, just the actual intention was to create this transitional piece. But it honestly really worked for me. I, I think, think it was just a really solid one and a very different one for Once Upon a Time. Like we don't need CGI wolf packs every week. Sometimes it's nice just to have heartfelt conversations between this estranged adopted mother who's also an evil queen and her son or between arch nemesis and 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 rivals who are now all working together for a common goal to get some loved ones back i don't know i think it's a good one it was nice to spend some time with these characters outside of the normal confines of the narratives of the show of of switching back and forth between flashback and and uh, present day timeline yeah. So what'd y'all think about them costumes? Did we really get that much in the way of new costumes? Like, I think, 
I remember thinking what Belle was wearing at Granny's was kind of cute, but nothing was all that stand out or new. Yeah, I remember Belle looked looked very cute. Belle's darling yellow dress is a nice nod to the animated ball gown, but like in a Disney bounding kind of way. Like I really like those casual nods to the animated films like that. Cora's gothic Lolita umbrella in the opening scene though. Oh, it's amazing and I really want it. Her blue, black, and silver dress is pretty. I think we've seen it before, but I think the best feature of it is the black lace sleeves that we only get little tiny glimpses of, you know, because the rest of the outfit is bedazzled to the nines. She looked great. And the only thing I didn't love other than those fucking feathers was that red silk scarf that Regina wears for like one, maybe two scenes and then loses for like the rest of the episode, even though it's the same day. But it's like, it's a red silk scarf that she's wearing atop her slate blue silk blouse. And it's like, it's too much shine. It's too much silk. And it's just weird and contrasty. I don't know. I was like distracted by the shine. Oh, I notice it. When they first go to Gold Shop, I believe it's there. That's when I noticed it. And I was like, what the hell is that? (laughs) And also I'm like, girl, that's not keeping you warm. (laughs) Like it's definitely for fashion, not for practical reasons. All right. It's time to play Who's That Guest Star? In which we talk about recurring cast members and guest stars. In season two, episode eight, we have... (laughs) We have Sarah Bulger as Princess Aurora. Irish actress Sarah Bulger has enjoyed a varied career with roles spanning mediums and genres. She is best known for her roles in The Tudors, Bioshock 2, The Spiderwick Chronicles, Agent Carter, Into the Badlands, Counterpart, and Mayans Motorcycle Club. All right. So now it's time to take a very straightforward path down Once Upon a Timeline. Because as we mentioned earlier, this episode has no flashbacks. Each storyline was playing out at the same time. So this episode actually just followed the present day storyline of the last episode, season two, episode seven, Child of the Moon. And the one that directly follows it is the one that's going to directly follow it. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, Cora and Captain Hook face off with Mary Margaret and Emma in a race to secure the compass which will point its holder to the portal into Storybrooke. But back in the land without magic, Regina and Mr. Gold are desperate to keep Cora out and put a plan into action that will kill anyone entering the portal, placing Mary Margaret's and Emma's lives in danger as well. Meanwhile, back in the fairy tale land that was, Captain Hook travels to Wonderland and meets up with a vengeful Queen of Hearts. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is don't come between a woman and her himbo. You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch. Talk fairy tales with us on Twitter at once upon rewatch. On Instagram at once upon rewatch. On Tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. Our artwork for the podcast was done by Laichi Ruru. That's L-A-I-C-H-I-R-U-R-U at twitter.com. 
This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike License. And we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Fairytale Waltz. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Where David looks at the needle, ready to prick his finger. <laughs> prick all right <laughs> did you get that out of your system are you good now <laughs> i aimed it at charming at least this time this time